Well, hello. I'm Dom, and I'm the host of Horror House, True Crime, and the Macabre. Do you have an interest in true crime, cults, the paranormal, and all things macabre? Then Horror House may be the new podcast for your rotation. Join me every Friday as I discuss stomach-churning true crime, mystifying cases of the unexplained, crazy cults, and more, presented with a side of dry British humour. Horror House is available wherever you find your podcasts and you can find the podcast on social media at horrorhouse underscore pod. Until next time, stay spooky, my friends. The subject of today's episode is a cavalcade of holiday horror, including the torture murder of a 15-year-old boy due to what else but witchcraft, the tale of four people's personal relationships and one of their gruesome deaths, the demonic haunting of the streets of Dublin, a dispute between friends which leads to an axe murder, and the origins of quite possibly the most notorious form of holiday torture that a particular group of people have to endure. All with a very special guest. Today, we cover Christmas Time True Crime. I'm Kevin Young. I'm Don Hergan. And I'm Phil Better. No, wait, no, stop the fucking music. You say it right, goddammit. Say it. <laughs> Fine. I am the award winning podcasting mogul, Phil Better. Holy fuck, he said it. <laughs> yeah, the creamy Canadian. <laughs> the creamy Canadian has entered the chat. Yeah. I give you a bit of context. This, hold on. And this is torture, especially for Phil. It's going to be great. <laughs> My apologies. Oh, this, is about, be uh, fun. this is torture part there for uh, a second. Yeah, I got lost, I got lost the in the show. romance. <laughs> <laughs> so it was. Right, you know, context to the creamy Canadian thing is um, so Phil and I play. Call of Duty online and Battlefield online together an awful lot and he tends to join the group chat in there when a creamy Canadian has joined the chat and uh, it just became a bit of a running joke like we, we were sitting there one night playing away I have a recording of it on my Playstation and we are all playing Battlefield and it pops up Phil Better has come online <laughs> and straight away I said hey what's the bets Phil's going to join the chat I go a creamy Canadian has joined the chat and next thing you see Phil names pop- <laughs> Phil's name pops up a creamy Canadian and he tripped up over his words <laughs> oh that was oh, really God. funny oh fuck all right, guys. Before we before we get into torturous day, yeah. Before we get into any more shit, uh, a call to action, right, Phil? You 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 do the call to action. There you go. All right. Email us torturepod at gmail.com. Message us on our Twitter, Insta, Hive app at torturepod. Buy us a fucking coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash torturepod. Go to our link tree on our socials and donate. Rate review wherever you can. Again, the first one hundred will get a call out. On the show, uh, Phil is on the show because he filled out a thing with the Make a Wish Foundation, and we are happy <laughs> enough to have him on. 
I've always wanted to be my 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 last wish was to be on this podcast to be tortured. He said, "John Cena, no, <laughs> Disneyland, fuck off. I want to be on a medium range podcast." So before <laughs> before we get uh, started, let's hear from our guest, host of the Invest in Yourself podcast series, the Invest in Yourself digital series. Uh, co-host of the Stock Dirty to Me podcast, producer of over 20 podcasts like Money Grows on Trees, CX Sports, Cloud Chronicles, and Talking with Experts, some of which are in the top 4% of listens in the world, host of the Phil Better Show, your favorite Canadian and mine, the award-winning podcast mogul, Phil Better. And then we have the crowd cheering. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, no, wait, no. Oh, we got the soundboard out. <laughs> yes, that was the right one, guy. I'll find it eventually. Can we please play play as I blame Canada when that starts? Off. But anyways, uh, I am Phil Bear, the podcast podcasting award winning mogul. Whatever name these gentlemen have decided to give me, I go by podcast mogul because I love helping podcasters uh, make money from their show. Um, because I think it's a medium that everybody deserves, and it's not easy to make money, but it's simple to make money behind podcasting. So I want to help as many podcasters get to a point where they're able to make money from their podcasts or whatever their success is. My my eventual goal is a hundred million podcasts out there. Um, so because right now we're only at four million, and I use air quotes specifically yeah. because there's only like fifty nine active. Uh, 59,000 active podcasts. <laughs> 59 active podcasts. <laughs> Yay, we're yeah. one. Well, How are we not higher? It feels like that. There's only like five right, podcasts that are actually yeah, right? You guys are in the crew. Um, but yeah, like there's 59, approximately 59,000 or 69,000 uh, active podcasts or 129. I don't know. My good friend Alex San, San Filipino actually talked about this. He had, a, he, he had a post about it. Anyways, so my goal is to get to 100 million podcasts. My goal, I want to see 100 million podcasts out there, 100 million people making a living from podcasting and it's super it's super super simple it just takes hard work and you guys are already doing it my only thing my only critique i would give to you guys is use one call to action what is the one thing you want people to do so if you want them to buy your coffee that's the only thing you talk about it you can say it a thousand times in the episode but that's the only thing you talk about so if you want them to subscribe to it on apple all you do is, hey, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple. Hey, make sure you subscribe to us on Spotify, the next episode. One call out per episode. Say it as many times as you want, but that one call to action should be one single thing because when you're listening to a podcast, do you have the time to do 15 calls to action? No. Yeah, but Phil, we're you greedy. Sometimes we'll forget the we're, we're greedy, <laughs> greedy people, greedy. right? We want but people here's the thing. to email us. We want people to like and subscribe. But we want people to click that bell icon or all that other stuff, whatever the hell they do. What do they do well, on the so talk text? <laughs> right, right swipe. If you see us on, on Tinder, right swipe on us. All that shit. We want all of it. Every ounce I understand you want them to do all that, but asking and they them to will. do that all in one episode will actually stop them from doing any action because they get this overwhelming of choice. And when you so, uh, and it's been proven that when humans have too much choice, they get they get paralyzed. They don't know what true. to do. I, so I, I yeah, option paralysis, clear, yeah. Direct, yeah, option paralysis. Yeah. So why are you doing option paralysis to the, your listeners? And it's hurting you. So if you give them the one option, write to us. And that's the only thing you do for every single episode. People will start writing to you. But right now, you write, write to us. Subscribe yeah, write to, to us. us. Do this, do that. 
Don't subscribe to us. Only write, write to, to us. us. There's the only call to action. So if you got through the whole call to action, this is what I want you guys to do. Write to them at torturepod at gmail.com. Tell them about a crazy torture story in your neighborhood or a crazy torture story that you want them to cover. Holy you fuck, never your know. neighborhood. People, you like, have look. a torture story in your neighborhood. Yes, please. <laughs> well, I thought my neighbor beat up his wife. What? There's, there's <laughs> thousands of those. D- d- you grew up in Dublin, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're telling a story about a, a freaking torture story in Dublin. It I didn't grow up in your neighborhood, did, No, it didn't exactly happen in my neighborhood, and it was a long time before my time. But yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Well, well it could be. Case, some guy, then, uh, some 18-year-old could hear it and say, think torturepod.gmail.com. Like what Phil said. That's your call to action you today, people. You've already missed out on the song promo. So, sorry for that, but um, yeah. you never know. First 100 people, yeah. we said we're going to do something special for the first 100 people. We don't know what it is yet, but it'll be something who special. Email you. Yeah, 100 exactly. people who yeah. email you, 100 people who comment. Yep. There you go. Yep. yep. Engage somehow other than just liking a comment on Instagram. That doesn't, that, if, that doesn't if, mean you if, can just hard us on Instagram. That doesn't I was going to say, yeah, if, if, if you're within the first 100 people to email us, we will get you an in-person live meet and greet with the podcast mobile award-winning podcast mobile feel better <laughs> right and totally free <laughs> yeah, yeah completely free right they have to fly their phil phil will, phil, phil will fly you to him right you get the trip to free trip to canada all expenses paid all expenses paid yeah business class obviously because we know phil's rolling in that podcast oprah money now at this stage yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll take that is. Favorite I'm sorry. And Actually, after after toys. having what I just finished watching the documentary thing, we finished watching the Pepsi Where's My Jet thing. I'm gonna end that whole yes. that whole fake promotion we just did with, with I'm just kidding. We are not doing that. Yeah, <laughs> do not take that. Do not hold it. Hold us to that. I'll, sorry, Joey. I'll do the speed reading thing at the very end of the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so bad you can't understand it, Billy. It's in there. Yeah. It's in there. <laughs> Okay, well, you know what, uh, Dan, the last episode we did something I absolutely hate podcasts doing. We bantered literally over half of the show before we got to the... <laughs> oh, we're bantering uh, again. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's just go for the first start. And this is, and we got a lot of shit. So, um, who wants yeah, to go first? I, I, I can go first. Dan, Let me, Phil, since who, I'm who the guest, I'm going to go first because I'm going to hog all the time. Fucking A, let's go. Let's hear from... So, Phil. unfortunately, there's not a lot of christmas torture stories in montreal which is surprisingly weird but it is holiday based my story that's fine uh, it's it's on what we call here in quebec uh, la fête nationale the national fight of uh, festival of party um saint jean so it's weird montreal has a really weird history anyways so this takes place on june 27th 1879 okay it's a beautiful yeah. day. People are partying. It's a lot of fun, right? And it is a huge party, specifically in the part of the town that this story takes place, which is Griffintown, Montreal, which is an Irish community. It's a historically yep. Irish community. It's where I live. It's literally like this. This actually happened probably about f- 10 minutes from where I am currently telling this story. Okay. So. In this Irish community, it's mainly, you know, uh, people who... It's a 19th century shantytown. It's a shantytown where the poor people live. So, you, 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 of course, you have your stables, your taverns, your flour mills, the smelting works, the warehouses. You got drifters, laborers, and families all living in this really 
superbly amazing community, right? Mm-hmm. But you have two sex workers. Okay, you have Mary Gallagher and Susie Kennedy. Now you're you have talking. a lot more than two sex workers. Well, yeah. this story <laughs> ta- <laughs> in this sound like, but this story takes place with just two of the multitude of sex workers that are in this Fair place. Enough. Mary Gallagher and Susie Kennedy, and a brand new client, uh, one Mr. Michael Flanagan. I think it's fine. Yeah, Flan- Flanagan. Yeah, Flanagan. Fla- Flanagan would be how you pronounce it. Yeah. Flanagan. Flanagan. Yeah. 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 Okay. Whatever. Michael. Anyways, so, and it takes place early in the morning with some bottles of whiskey. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, how the story goes is that Mary and Susie were good friends. And they were looking for some more fun after the major partying of Saint-Jean was done. And they happened to bump into this one little gentleman named Michael. And they're like, and they, they're all drunk. They're partying. They're drinking at the taverns. They convince him to go drinking some more. And then they're like, okay, we don't have any more money to pay, so we need to go. But I believe it was on our couch. And then they went back and forth. Plaster, da, da. I believe it was, yes. So... Susie suggests that they go back to her apartment. And now her apartment is just two floors. There's the bottom family and Susie's up top, I believe. Um, Yeah, so it's Susie's flat. They're inside. They start partying, you know, drinking. Stuff gets wild. And then the tenants downstairs here argue. They're not sure. It's really hard to make, make out what's going on. And then they hear a thump. Like a thump. And people <laughs> Phil, Phil taking out his Mickey and it hitting the floor. <laughs> That's what that was. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't there yet. Um, so <laughs> they're a little confused. There's no, more, there's no more arguing. And all of a sudden, they're sitting down there. They're eating. And then drip, drip, drip. And they look over and there's a pool of blood on the floor. And they look up and they see that there's red marks from the blood. It looks like blood dripping from the ceiling. Because you have to remember, this isn't like modern day ceilings. These are like wood yeah, slabs. Yeah, just like not, wood panels. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, the, the, yeah, the cheapest things that we can put together. So yeah. like you can hear everything between apartments. And then so they, they're like, what the hell? They call the cops. And as you hear, as they're starting to call the cops, you hear a voice yell from above i've wanted revenge for a long time and i finally got it it's a female voice and people are like what the heck and so the cops come in rush into the flat and they find mary's body laying on the floor in her thin cotton gown her head is severed And it's in a bucket. And you look, and there's Susie covered in blood. Bet you Susie did it. And and (laughs) (laughs) Susie's just like, just like crazed, covered in blood. And Michael is dozing in the front room of the apartment, sleeping off. Sleeping off. The drunken stupor. She killed her friend over a client. Well, I mean, 
Gotta get that D. I guess. <laughs> We've all been there. You know, it was his eight. What you say? This wait, wait. Yes. Here, here's See, that, like I said. So, I was so, gonna say sorry. I was gonna say that that was obviously like I said. It was the fadump was the client <laughs> taking feel better, award winning podcast mobile feel better, <laughs> producing the goods, and they got jealous. And the guy here's Michael the had to sleep off uh, the shock of seeing somebody <laughs> so big. Passed out from shock. Here's the thing. So, Susie got sentenced to hang for her murder, right? But it got communed to life in prison. Uh, She ended up being in Kingston Penitentiary for 16 years. And she died from tuberculosis because it was a... It's freaking 1800s, you know? Like, the the, the quality of life is not high. Yeah, so many farts and you get TB. (laughs) Pretty much. Hmm. On the day that she was sentenced to die, Michael was uh lost his footing apparently on a uh on a boat in the peel basin which is like the the harbor pretty much and fell through the ice and drowned fucking hell <laughs> some people believe and you have to remember this is like an irish community so very superstitious at the time yeah. very catholic you know very superstition high uh-huh. um a legend was passed down that people saw mary gallagher push michael because it was Michael's fault that she got beheaded. And so there's a legend that every four years or so, you can see Mary Gallagher strolling the streets of Griffintown looking for her head. Nice. I was going to say, now, I just got a great idea for a Halloween costume. Girl dressed as a woman in a white gown with a bucket with my head in it. There you go. Sort of. There's been a few, and uh, it's it's so like it's so crazy. Um, the f- I've heard of this story. So growing up in Montreal, I've heard of this story, right? Yeah. Like it's 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 like one of the legends you hear. You, it's you start off hearing the headless ghost. That's what we hear it as, and then you learn more about it. However, th- what really like sunk in and made it like more real was uh, I did a ghost walk in Montreal, and it's uh, I highly suggest you do the ghost walks in Montreal because you have an actor, an actress, or an actor telling you these different stories but like giving it more as if they're living the piece and they're dressed in period pieces well, I was gonna say it's like a so theater it piece sells. Like, uh-huh. yeah it's like they're in their theater cool. of like the 1800s and all this and you're hearing all these amazing stories that history doesn't really tell you don't learn in history class because well, it's like yeah. oh it's not a world event it doesn't matter yeah. But then you get to know a bit about, you learn about the little stories, like there was a, a, a family that got, their, the guy left his family to die in this hospital and ended up dying on the road by this apparently vengeful ghost that took him in. Like there's that story as well. You learn that. It's like, what the hell? So many great stories in Montreal about our ghosts. We, so surprisingly, we're a young city, but we have a lot of ghost stories. And you so too can uh, learn so that. All these ghost stories, if you uh, send us an email and you're the first 100 you win a trip to go see Feel Better, and you can go take the tour. Like, subscribe, hit that bell icon. Actually, no, wait, don't. No, sorry. Just, no, don't do any of that. Don't no. do anything other than email us. Yes, yeah. just email. Come on, guys. Yeah. Get it together. You said it was in the 1860s or something like that? Uh, this took place, uh, was 18, hold on, I have... Uh, it was eighteen. It was eighteen seventy nine. So I mean, you know, the cops ran in there, saw her covered in blood, and they were like, "Gross! Clean that up! What happened here? Because... <laughs> Why are you Honestly, covered in blood, uh, ma'am? I have a I have a sasshole after jumping up onto me. Sasshole! <laughs> oh, sasshole's here! Hi, kitty. 
You, oh, you so go away. Cute. If you check out the show yeah, notes, you'll find some links that you, we want you to check out. But make sure you email torturepod at gmail.com. Yeah, I have all the links in the show notes afterwards. Uh, a lot of links in the show notes afterwards. Um, all right. Well, Phil, thank you so much for that one. That's uh that's a fun one. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, I like uh, those kind of um, urban yeah. legendy stories. Yeah. Good. I'm glad I could have provided some urban legendlessness. Uh, all right, Dan, do you want to do one of yours? Or, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll um. All right, go. Right. So here's the thing: is that so? I have two stories, uh, which I'll obviously start with one of them. I'm not going to tell the two of them straight in a row, but uh, one yeah, of them you do one, is I'll do based. One, you do one, I'll do one. Yeah. Uh, one of them is not based around Christmas, which is the one I'm going to say for after, which is the bigger one. Um, okay. it's say it is based around the holiday period. Um, the Irish Christmas around Paddy's weekend, so not Patty's oh. <laughs> Americans. Just throwing it out there, Fair American enough. listeners. It is not Saint Patty's. Just going to say. Anyway, so has anybody here ever heard of the tale of the Dolliker? not it's an irish no. folklore kind of legend um but there's debate over the exact way it's pronounced i've heard people say dollar sure or dollar share it's the d-o-l-o-c-h-e-r i'm talking to my wife about it and because it's irish descendant name for yeah. dollar appears to be the correct way but anyway we'll also be traveling back to the 18th century but it is in good old dublin well I read two different ver- variations of this. One of them says it was in the 19th century, one says it was in the 18th, because apparently there's a diary entry discovered for somebody describing what happened from first-person perspective, and that was from the 19th century. But anyway, um, so in Dublin, we have an area known as the Liberties, which is very close to Dublin city centre. And in the Liberties, a body of a woman as was discovered. She had been raped and murdered. And shortly after this the discovery of her body, a man by the name of Oliker is arrested. He is tried and convicted of the crime and he is swiftly sentenced to death by hanging. So Oliker is sent to a prison known as Black Dog Prison, which is located in an area of Dublin that was used to be referred to as New Hall Market, which any, if there are any Irish listeners, it's where Core Market is now, which is near Christ Church Cathedral. You can all Google that if you want. Yeah. Uh, hold on, sorry. <sighs> Apologies. Cats knocking down the books. Get out of here. Yeah, I could hear it. The prison was originally built as a square tower that was known as Brown's Castle, and it later became a tavern and an inn, and then it was later used as a debtor's prison for all the rooms that were in it. And up until about the late 18th century, it stopped being used as a prison. Uh, so allegedly you could actually stay in one of the numerous rooms within it if you paid to stay. So like many homeless would pay whatever the little tiny amount was to be able to actually get a bed for the night. So Oliker himself managed to technically escape being executed by taking his own life in his cell. But that didn't mean that the men of a men and women of both Black Dog Prison or Dublin would actually be able to escape him, allegedly. Mm-hmm. So a few days later one of the prison sentries was found beaten and unconscious at the end of his shift. He had been mauled and his clothes were in tatters. There were a couple of different variations in accounts. You see that asshole behind me? Um, I see him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, <laughs> my apologies. It's literally cat. all I could focus on is just the tail. Yeah, well, no, I'll tell you what, I might get rid of her and then continue. Give me one second, sorry. 
<laughs> Hold on. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Mario. So, anyway, as I was saying. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so Oliver managed to escape his execution by hanging himself in the cell. And so a few days later, said uh, a sentry was found beaten and unconscious at the end of his shift. He had been mauled and his clothes were in tatters. And again, as I was saying, the couple of variations that I read was one stating that he had suffered from a form of stroke from the fear, from, from fear, where it paralyzed his yeah. entire left side initially and for a short time and he couldn't speak. Now, when he eventually came to and he regained his speech, he had stated that he had heard strange noises coming from Oliker's now empty cell. And when he investigated the sound, something rushed at him from inside the darkness of the cell and he and attacked him. And he swore that the figure that attacked him was demonic man but with the head of a pig so huh. yep. there were more talks over a short period of time of strange noises and numerous sightings of the demonic pig in and around Black Dog Prison and it was swiftly believed that the pig demon was the spirit of Oliver who had come back to terrorise everybody of at Black Dog a week later a sentry went to relieve another from duty, only to find that he was missing. His rifle and clothes, the only thing remaining in his post. And then the terror of... You just ran. Then the terror of... (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't you if a big, giant, black pig man was chasing you? But, um, yeah, so the, the terror then spread outside the prison into the streets of Dublin. Night after night, women were attacked in the area around the Liberties and around Black Tog Prison in an area that was ironically actually nicknamed Hell, and that was nicknamed Hell due to the amount of brothels, gambling houses, and taverns that were in the area, so it was very kind of place it's of building ironically, repute. ironically, because that's not Hell. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that would be heaven, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Think of all the drinking. Um, but yeah, so that was also described as half man, half pig, and night after night, fear grew stronger around the streets of Dublin as the mention of the black pig was basically on everyone's tongues and everyone was basically afraid to go out alone. Other areas of the city were also starting to become fearful as more and more reported attacks involving a demonic pig man took place elsewhere and it appeared that Oliker's vengeful spirit was kind of spreading further afield. So the name Doliker, which is what it's referred to as, allegedly grew uh, from the fact that they believed it, this was a, this man Oliker, uh, evil spirit, but in Dublin, when you say the, sometimes you say the, there's literally like the. a D. Yeah. So it's nearly like yeah. D apostrophe Oliker, so it became Doliker. Doubles, so, so Dublin City itself was petrified of this demonic beast roaming the streets and preying on women every single night. So numerous pigs were sacrificed <laughs> and culled in an attempt to ward off this this evil. And I think it's actually kind of funny, though, when you think about it, the fact that they sacrificed pigs to ward off an evil pig, if anything, that would piss them off a bit more that you're killing their brethren. Yeah, you know? a little bit, maybe. Mm. I know, but sure, look, that's the way they thought, obviously, back then. But shortly after the culling of the numerous pigs, the attacks stopped. It was coming into springtime. Nothing happened. Summer came and passed. Still no war attacks. The people of Dublin were finally relaxing after a long winter of fear. And then in November, 
pretty much a year after Oliver's suicide and when the first attacks began, they began again. And there's one night, a local blacksmith went into his went into his tavern. And while he was inside, it began to rain heavily as he hadn't brought a cloak in with him. The tavern owner offered him his wife's cloak to shield him from the rain on oh, his travel home. I'm so glad you said cloak after so, that. Offered him his yeah. wife. <laughs> wife, yeah. yeah offered him his more. wife. <laughs> Yeah, we're like, is he going to continue the <laughs> statement, or are we just wrong is it just place so for wrong? a comma? Anyway, <laughs> so he offered the man his wife's cloak, and seeing a, what was believed to be a woman walking down the streets, a Dolliker attacked what turned out to be his last victim. The blacksmith was very easy able to overpower this being, despite the fact. Of the fear that was obviously onset him because of seeing this demonic pig attack laid him out on the floor managed to rip the pig head off and dragged his ass down to, to Lear's police station the man behind the pig's head was none other as it turned out than the sentry who had gone missing the previous <laughs> year who had taken the opportunity to basically strike fear to everyone by using this pig's head but he, he started this in order to basically so that when he did attack somebody a woman to mug them uh, they wouldn't fight back they'd be so fearful thinking that was a demon Um, I didn't get this person's name isn't anywhere I couldn't see who the person's name was and as well as that's funny because the blacksmith's name I couldn't find anywhere and this guy Oliker this rapist murderer guy is the guy whose name lives on kind of in legend as a result of him just having to kill himself beforehand you know which is just complete barmy <laughs> so this whole story <laughs> this, is... this whole story takes place in about an hour and what they do is they capture him with an elaborate rope and net trap and then they come in <laughs> yeah. and they rip his head the the pig head off and they're like oh, it's not the dollar it's old mr sanders yeah. century from the yeah, i would have gotten exactly. away from it too if it wasn't for you rotten <laughs> kids and the harlem globetrotters <laughs> fucking pull up they're like hey guys it's been fucking bad you pesky they scooby dude the motherfucker <laughs> oh yeah, yeah i forgot to mention yeah the blacksmith was obviously had his um pet dog with him who was stoned off his nuts you know <laughs> but the whole time yeah when i when i what i love about this yeah what i love about this the main person that the story is about has nothing exactly exactly i know zero to do with the story yeah this guy just happened to kill himself it's all about him like i'm thinking like it's a vengeful go like i figured like i one i thought it was either a really a feral pig and people were just stoned off their asses back then or drunk off their asses considering it's ireland um, and I'm not being racist much. Stereotypical. You better apologize. You better apologize for that now, Mr. Canadian. <laughs> I apologize <laughs> for stating a stereotypical fact of the Irish people. But yeah, yeah, they're, they're like pretty it, I thought it was a feral pig <laughs> at start. But no, it's a, it's, oh my God, that's, yeah, it's, 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 I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking, fucking Scooby-Doo episode. (laughs) I was thinking the exact same thing the whole way through it as well. I was like, when I first read it, I was like, this is like Scooby-Doo. And again, the whole fact that this whole story is to do with this guy who had nothing to do with it whatsoever. It's like, it's, it's, I don't even know. It's kind of, can you imagine if you died tomorrow and then suddenly your name lived on for centuries or for hundreds of years? Just by pure happenstance, like yeah, you know, just nothing to do with what happens. 
Wow. I know. It's just you died on the spot that a, a vengeful ghost appeared. Yep. Jeez. And now it's called the Phil Ghost. <laughs> yeah, the 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 follicker. No, no, no. The award-winning <laughs> podcast mogul, Phil Ghost. <laughs> yeah, trying to run away. Oh, it's the award-winning podcast mogul. The award-winning podcast mogul, Phil Better, but it's not really him. It's just someone pretending to be a ghost of him. <laughs> and you have to say that all while your hat, while you're about a foot up in the air with your legs, just going as fast as possible before you take off with the smoke behind you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Uh, all right, Kevin. All right. Your turn to go with the, your story. Yes, so... This one is uh, tortury and very true crimey. So hold mm-hmm. on to your butts because it's going to get upsetting. So February 21st, 1983, in Zaire, previously known as the Democratic Republic of Congo, Magali Bamu was born to her parents, Pierre and Jacqueline. The family moved to Paris with Pierre opening his carpentry business, designing, manufacturing furniture. <clears throat> he, later, he later moved him and his wife uh, back to the Congo to continue the business. So 13 Mag- 13-year-old Magali stayed behind with her mother's niece, Phoebe, and her husband, Ferdinand, in Dagham, East London. And apparently she was treated pretty horribly. So get a little insight into where her head is at. She was treated pretty much like a slave. Later in her life, she would meet Eric Bickabui through a mutual friend, and the two would hit it off pretty quick. Uh, He was a football coach, and the relationship started off great, it didn't last long, but we'll get back to that in a little bit. Uh, unfortunately, a question. Yeah, question. Yeah. When you say football coach, are we talking the European football or the North American football? I would, I mean, it's, this is association soccer. Association yes, this I, w- I would imagine this is soccer and not okay. American. Just football. I just wanted to verify yes. because you never know with you crazy Europeans. That's true. I'm sorry. That's what? true. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hold on a minute. Just to be how many feet are actually used in a game of American football? Uh, well, I mean, you use you use the one foot to kick the ball. How many times? You use the feet to move. How the many times? How many times? Uh, you several kick times that ball? throughout the several times. Several. Sometimes mm. the entire game is won just by the feet. <laughs> it's true. It is. It's very true. That's how you usually measure in yards. But okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So later in life, she would marry. Uh, she, uh, yeah, oh, I told you that. Um, unfortunately, Eric became extremely controlling, verbally abusive, and refused to let her wear makeup or even see her friends. Now, Eric was born in the Congo as well, also in 1983. His mother died during childbirth. So throughout his life, his father taught him about uh, a type of witchcraft called Kindoki which was widely believed in the Congo to be responsible for child possession. Now, when a child is pointed out, usually by a religious leader or elder, as possessing kindoki, steps would be taken to rid the child of the evil spirit that was possessing them. This included beatings, salvation submission, water deprivation, and continuous prayer without food. It was believed during this possession the evil spirits has taken over the child, so they are unable to feel pain from the horrible mutilations and beatings, which is obviously not the case. But, you know, people are going to believe the stupid shit they believe. 
Simple things children do are viewed as indications of Kendoki possession, such as wetting the bed, biting your nails, or stealing a pencil, which is oddly uh, <laughs> specific. What did he steal? That happened I stole once. like 30 bucks one time. from me. Okay. He stole yeah. he stole my fucking TV. All right. He stole a pencil. Whoa! <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Pump the fucking brakes. Condemned to hell. So, I mean, these are very ordinary. These are things that all kids do. You know, I mean, all my kids have stolen pencils. Uh, but they have extremely dangerous consequences. So during their relationship, Eric would talk about uh, visions he would have as a child, seeing rats that weren't there. And much like Magaly's family, Eric and his, uh, much like Magaly's family, Eric and his uncle fled the Congo in 1990 to escape the war, and they settled in London. And his uncle would talk more to him about the Kondoki and witchcraft before he passed away. Uh, throughout their relationship, him Magaly said he grew more obsessed with sorcery and witchcraft and began having dreams of his brother killing him. Uh, to rid himself of what he believed to be evil spirits, he moved around London to a bunch of different apartments to outrun them. Um, it didn't work, so he began consulting with a pastor for help. Now, that's just a little background into the culprits of this. So the two got engaged, moved in together in a London flat, and the family... Well, uh, Magaly's family was fairly excited. They didn't know all of Eric's past. So they descend the sign to they descend decide to send Magaly's siblings to spend Christmas with them. Uh, enter 15-year-old Christy. Now, this is uh, Christy is a boy's name. So don't don't get confused. <laughs> Christy's a girl. Christy That's a boy's is, name here. Is, is a boy's name. Yeah. Is, is it? Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty strange. I have, an, I have, an, I have I don't a, know any boys. I, nah, I, I have an uncle, Christy. So. Oh, okay. There you go. Okay. Mm. So along, yeah, along I, with his siblings, which include Kelly, his 20-year-old sister, uh, an 11-year-old sister, a 13-year-old brother, and a 22-year-old autistic brother, uh, a few days before Christmas, the siblings arrived at the London home. And by all accounts, the first day went fine. Suddenly, Eric's mood changed, and him and Magaly started accusing the siblings of being possessed with Kondoki. The siblings were because bored. Because he borrowed his and... pencil. <laughs> exactly. So the siblings... You take your all... brother's pencil? <laughs> <laughs> the siblings were all bored in Paris. They had no idea what the fuck Kondoki was, and were extremely <laughs> Sorry, confused. I was say, is that not the game... Is that not the game you play when you have like all the tiles and you have to match them up and then you slowly? That's mahjong. Game? It's Sudoku. That's what I was thinking. Of. But anyway, so so the, all the chill, all the siblings. I don't say children because they're in their teens. Uh, all the siblings rejected the claims. So of course, what you do with witches, you torture them. So they were made to pray. Constantly, they were refused food and drink. They were beaten, and at one point, even forced to jump out of a window, which I believe to be a second-story window, just to see if they could fly. Because you know, <laughs> witches. Uh, eventually, hey kids, come visit us in London. Have a nice holiday. <laughs> Get out the fucking window. <laughs> eventually, Kelly and her eleven-year-old sister 
confessed to being witches to avoid beatings, which worked for them. Dan, you and I have covered a lot of times people confess to a lot of stupid shit to keep you from crushing their head. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> this did not work for Christy. So the same night the sisters confessed, Christy was beaten and involuntarily wet himself. Now, once Eric found his underwear, he took this as a sign that Christy was the one who brought the Kondoki into his house and began to focus solely on him, uh, even encouraging the other siblings to join in. Over the next day or two, Christy would endure some of the most horrific tortures. So they smashed his head, face, and back with ceramic tiles. Uh, they took hammers and chisels to his limbs. They cut all over his body with knives, shoved a metal bar in his mouth, and used it to break teeth. And they used pliers to twist off pieces of his ear. What? How would you twist? What? Yeah. They used pliers to twist off pieces of his ear. It filled yeah. sitting there now Apparently with the face again. It's, it's usually the faces that I tend to pull. And uh, Phil, uh -huh. I have to listen to this shit. I have to listen to this shit almost every week. Right? Like, <laughs> this, Phil, this like, is what I do to Dan. <laughs> every other week, this is what I do to Dan. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, no, no, no. Here's the funny thing. No, like, this is the, like, Dan, you're choosing, like, you're like, I'm going to do this podcast <laughs> with my buddy, yeah. listen yeah. to these weird fucking shit. Wow. And I'm, I'm pretty sure you guys make this explicit just because of the stories you're talking about. Oh, yeah, about. it's explicit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But people are actually listening to your podcast. Oh, yeah, you, you, know, you know, and they're you know, getting why, a Phil. kick out yeah. of listening to Torch. Because it's funny as shit, Phil. That's why it's really goddamn funny. It's, it's aside sad. from it's like I, Kevin. You have a great voice for telling stories. Thank like you. it is amazing. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah, he really does. That's the thing. Yeah, a friend so of mine said it to me. So well, like it sounds like you you have like a, a Morgan Freeman type voice. You know, like one of those voices I wish someone would narrate my life through. Right? Because yeah. it sounds so great. And as you're telling, using pliers to twist off pieces of his ear. It's like like you're so like. This All is I can take of that is. Normally, every day someone does this. You're it's so like, like you're so cool with it, and I'm like that just makes it even more twisted. Yeah. Like how calm you are, but I realize you probably twist. You freaked out about this earlier. Oh, when, when I read, read it, I went. It. I was I hand to mouth reading it, damn near tears in my eyes, thinking because this is a 15 year old kid. It's just something yeah, you got to kind of read over and over and over before you almost get desensitized to this specific story. Like how can like. Luckily, most of the like, stuff that we talk about on here happened centuries ago, and half of the shit didn't actually even happen. We, we found out through a, a few of them that we've covered already that they didn't really even exist when they were supposed to. So it doesn't hurt as bad to read about it. But, like, yeah. this this is obviously something that did happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not done yet. So... <laughs> Continue. And all, all I can think of now, because what he said is Morgan Freeman introducing the award-winning podcast mogul <laughs> when I first met the award-winning podcast mogul Phil Bennett. Oh, all right. So by the time it was all over, Christy had over 130 separate wounds, and it said that his limbs were basically just strips of flesh hanging from his body. So by Christmas Eve, this, again, 15-year-old boy was begging them to just let him die. Uh, meanwhile, 
Eric began forcing the siblings to clean the blood from the apartment, but there's no way they could get even a fraction of it. Uh, later that night, Eric would make a call to Pierre and Jacqueline, the uh, the 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 parents, parents, telling them that Christy was possessed, and if they did not come and get him, he would kill him. Parents obviously in disbelief. Now they had to go through the process of trying to get a rental car to make the six-hour drive to London on Christmas. Uh, it was a difficult challenge to say the least. Most of the places they looked at were closed for the holiday. Uh, and now, so and now starts yeah. the torture part of the story. <laughs> Trying to get to London at Christmas. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's the real horror. <laughs> Dealing with hurts <laughs> on Christmas but, Eve. Wait, wait, when, uh, Kevin? Yeah. I just want to reenter. When did this story take place? Two thousand ten. I had thought you had said like the parents were born in eight. No, 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 no. The siblings were born in 19... The uh, Magali and Eric were born in 1983. I don't think there were rental car companies around back then, Phil. Yeah, same year I was born. But this all happened in 2000. No, that's why I wanted to verify... (laughs) They had to go to Hertz Hertz Rent-A-Coach and get a horse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Rent-A-Horse. Like, okay, that makes more sense. (laughs) Instead, it was a three-day trip. So this took place 12 years ago? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So, trying to get a rental car... Look at this. Look at this this torture noob. Look at the torture noob. Look at him. (laughs) Looks like he's going to throw up. His head in his hand in disbelief. So, uh, trying to get to London would actually, it would ultimately be in vain. So, Eric put all the siblings in a bathtub and started spraying them down with water, letting the tub fill up to the brim. Now, after the two torturers left the room, Christy, fraught with physical and mental exhaustion, let his head drop under the water and drowned. They called an ambulance. Why, I don't know. Uh, But when the authorities arrived, they saw a scene straight out of a horror movie. Blood literally everywhere. Floors, walls, even the ceiling was splattered with it. And Christy was pronounced dead Christmas Day, 2010. So they both ended up pleading guilty to bodily harm on the grounds of diminished responsibility because apparently at some point in his life, Eric had had brain damage, but this was rejected and the case had to go to a jury trial. Uh, The jury consisted of seven women, five men. The judge said due to the gruesome evidence of the horrific crimes that these jurors were excused from ever having to serve jury duty again. So, I mean, there's a plus, I guess. Eric's defense claimed his brain injury, uh, his cultural upbringing, and schizophrenia diminished his responsibility for these actions. And Magalie's defense argued that she was manipulated and she did not believe in witchcraft. But Kelly, the the next oldest sister, testified against her sister and said that she had no pity as she spoke of the lack of remorse from her sister while her and her siblings begged her to stop as she brutally beat and tortured them. Now, here's kind of the uh, the out-of-left field. At the trial, a young woman, uh, Naomi Longa, and her boyfriend stayed with the couple two years prior to the murder in 2008 and was accused of, again, being possessed by Kondoki because she was biting her nails. Uh, the three days that she stayed with Eric... Uh, She was refrained from eating and sleeping. 
Uh, he and Magalie would sit and pray with her. Her hair, which came all the way down to the middle of her back, was forcibly cut short to release the Kondoki. Uh, luckily, she was able to call her mother and get rescued and get away. Unfortunately, Maggie, for Magalie, the result in this punishment uh, for allowing her to leave, uh, Eric forced her to eat off the floor and gave her a black eye. So she went to stay at a women's refuge. And I said earlier that the relationship didn't last very long. But three months later, she went back. And then they got engaged. So that kind of gives uh, the jury, say, well, she wasn't manipulated because she fucking came back after she got out. She knew what was going on was wrong. And she came back. Eric uh, Bikabui was eventually sentenced to a minimum of 30 years in prison. And Magali was sentenced to a minimum of 25 years. The judge told the couple that the case was very sadistic and belief in witchcraft, however genuine, cannot excuse the assault and killing of any other human being. Merry Christmas, everybody. That's pretty cool. So <laughs> Phil Phil doesn't know what he fucking got himself into. <laughs> yeah. Like if this was like something that happened in the 1800s, like from 1801 to 1899, mm -hmm. I could understand, like, the, I could understand it. Like, there's an idea, like, culturally and all that, the, like, evolution. Uh, tr trust this me, Phil, you still wouldn't. Uh, from what place. I've experienced, you would still not understand. <laughs> you would still be like, what the fuck? No, no, no. I would, I, I would still be in disbelief that people could believe it, but it get, would be easier yeah, to you understand. You would get I could why they would do it, because the belief yeah. system well, was different back then. I'm you know. sorry, yes and no, it this is and isn't. It isn't. Like, look at Catholicism again. I don't want to beat the old dead horse that I like to beat. No, but no. people still believe all that shit. You know what I mean? There's tons no, of No, I understand stuff, you know? that. No, no. But there's people aren't, like, we're seeing a rise in the U.S. of extreme fundamentalism uh -huh. with, the, yeah. uh, with Christianity. But there's, like, it's... I, I have a hard time believing, and I'm pretty sure you have stories to count this, of people, not, not even, no, fuck it, I can't, I can't say that. <laughs> this is just, like, we gotta get Phil back on. <sighs> I feel so sorry for the children. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I was parents, gonna say, like, uh, and yeah. the, like yeah. the, the judge is right. The people who, the jury on this, for the fact that they had to sit through mm -hmm. and see what this these poor children went through. Right. Yes, Phil. The, the, first of all, they should have got tripled the <laughs> the friggin' pay, right? Plus, you know, a twelve week vacation so somewhere. You, you don't get paid for jury duty, do you? Not having to serve. <laughs> oh, you do over here. I think you get like eleven dollars a day or something if you have to miss work. Right. So that'd be a big. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah sorry, yeah, yeah. They yeah, cover yeah, your yeah, yeah. They, cover your work. Pay, you get a yeah, yeah. payment or stipend yeah, or something like to cover your work. Yeah, yeah. Pay. sorry, sorry, yeah, sorry, like, sorry. I thought you meant just generally paid. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. They just they pay you say, to cover your work. Yes, yeah, same here. But I was, was going to say, Phil, if you think that's bad, listen back on our Ling Chi episode and <laughs> think think about when you listen to it. Right, think about what happens to one person. And think about the fact then that there was an incident in it to do with an awful lot more than just one person, and that same thing happened to all these other people. people. Yeah, um, and the that most will metal make you... fucking thing you ever heard in your life, by the way. Yeah, but, yeah. Like, I can't it's believe so they did it to a child. Yeah. Like this, for me, it's like 
doing it to an adult, I'm like, okay, it's an adult to another adult. Like, I can see the rationale. But you're doing it to a 15-year-old child. This, And it's not even your child. Yeah, that's the thing. Some of those cases like that make it even worse. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, like doing it to your own child, that's a next level. But taking in, like, doing it to another child that you think is possessed without even first verifying with the parents like where do you get off on the like thinking you have the sanctimonious right to put your hands on another like when i i'm talking about a teacher a teacher is smacking a bottom like back in those like smacking the bottom yeah. or like using a rule to hit the hands i'm Rap like okay, the locals. Yeah, yeah. that that's fine like like do i believe in corporal punishment no but like one a slap on the wrist you know because you you did something bad that's a punishment Action that, consequences. i would be like yep yeah, there's action consequence. Do I approve prove of it? No. But I'm like, you didn't go past one hit. One hit is the no. You know, like if it's one hit, fine. I'm fine with that. My dad always said the first hit is for your learning a lesson. The second one is an anger. You never want to hit an anger, right? right. You know, your child. First, like, first of all, you're never going to hit deepest. a child. But, <laughs> right? <laughs> the first hit is the deepest. Yeah, that's all you hit after hit one. You break yeah. the trust. I was going to say, like, I'll tell you a little like, little thing here, Phil, that make it feel a little bit worse. Feel, make you feel a bit better about this I, particular pro- story. Worse. Right? I love that. Not make no, me feel no. better. Make me feel No, 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 no. It'll make you feel better about this story to a certain extent, right? So this guy in Kevin's story had his belief system, which is what was the engineering, the, the kind of, the fuel to the fire effectively got him started, right? So what, this isn't my story, my other story now, but I remember reading about a case that happened here where a guy had taken a kid and now this guy was didn't do this for religious reasons or anything like this, handcuffed a kid to a radiator, which was on and left roaring hot. Of course. Poured boiling water on the kid and went to went at the kid's legs and knees with a cheese grater. Nice. Wow. I should have covered that That's for my story, else. but it was yeah, a bit too much for me. No, yeah, no, no, but it it was a bit Please too much for me. I remember me. reading about it and being really angry, like very angry yeah. about it. You know, and yeah. like I Please tell me the I've cut myself with cheese grater. Fucking... I can't remember, but I've cut myself with cheese graters, and it's like you know, like no, sick. Never got myself with a cheese grater. Like, that, that, that guy, that guy, that guy just before, but never a cheese grater. Yeah, well, I, I, on a microplane, I, I did before, you know, a few times. Oh, I've, I've, I, one yeah. of my thumbs is wonky because I've done it several times. <laughs> yeah, um, but the difference here being the fact that that guy just did it just because he's a, he's a, he's a sick fuck. That other guy did it because it was based on um, um, mentality and methodology kind of thing that was ingrained into him from not only him being a complete fucking lunatic, but also down to his religious upbringing or whatever way you want to describe it not that there's an any any excuse but at least yeah for his one there was something there that kind of instigated that yeah like nature. there's at least a like a level like you can understand his upbringing was that these specific things mean witchcraft and witchcraft you need these are the punishment like there's like a yeah if there's a that causal response you, then... like it makes like as twisted as it is, there's a there's a logic to it. As twisted logic it is, it, there's well, a, to him, a, yeah, to him, there's logic. a logic to it. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Whereas this so guy just rate. 
Anyways, let's move on to your second story, so, Dan, so I can have more crazy responses. That was not a fun story, but it was fun to watch Phil try to wrap his head around it. <laughs> it hurts. Yeah. It hurts. I'm telling you people, it hurts. I, I, and also, the right. people listening to this, why are you torturing <laughs> yourself with this knowledge? That's what, Please write in no. at torturepod yes. at gmail.com <laughs> and tell go. us why you torture yourself. I want to know why. And they'll and the first 100 will get a personalized shout-out on this podcast. Yes, they will. And if you have a torture story that you want to share, please send it in at torturepod at gmail.com, and they'll read it out on the podcast. All expense Or maybe invite you to, to read it themselves. To meet Phil. Paid by. <laughs> Will you stop with the, the meet Phil? Phil? No. <laughs> All right, Dan, and go ahead and get Pepsi your Co. second one. <laughs> we are just kidding. We are not running that promotion. This is not a real jet. I will not be caught in that web. So I do not have the same glorious um sexy story reading voice the lilt that is kevin young but i'm gonna try this one here is a bit longer right so this is based around saint patrick's weekend the irish christmas uh and this is the one it's the tale of uh, four people their personal relationships and one other gruesome deaths so this is the four people are i'm gonna say the partner the mother and then the two daughters okay Okay. So we'll start with the partner. Sure. In December of 1996, a man named Shalila Salim arrived in Ireland. Salim was a Somalian man whose family had been killed in Mogadishu during the Somali Civil War. But all of that was bullshit because his name was actually Farah Swali Noor. And he was actually from Kenya and his family were actually very much still alive. Farah well, now you just ruined the story. They want, no, 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 this, this, this isn't ruined. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He has a million dollars in a bank account and can't access it, but he wants your help. I must actually find an email. I actually got an email before from some guy pretending to be a colonel in the American military um, offering me, saying that he got gotten loads of barrels of oil over in Iraq and he wanted to store them somewhere and give me money to store them. <laughs> and I wrote back as if I was like private first class, Daniel. <laughs> it was like, I cannot do that. It was really funny. I must find an email and send it on to you sometime. But um, so Farah, the whole thing was discovered basically that this guy wasn't who he said he was, right? So Farah's deportation was ordered by the Department of Justice, but he appealed and was granted Irish citizenship. Now, here's a really fucked up thing for you, Phil, right? He was granted Irish citizenship citizenship in March of 1999 because he had fathered an Irish-born child. He would go on to father a few more children. But he ha- and he at the time he had four previous convictions uh, for a number of offences such as intoxication, threatening and abusive behaviour and assault. The child that he fathered was because in 1997 Farah raped a mentally disabled 16 year old Chinese girl who would later give birth to his son. And then he also ended up having two other children to two other women that he raped. He faced eight charges of disorder and assault, one of which involved sexual assault with a knife. And he was convicted three times, but he never served a single minute of jail time. Now, the good old Irish justice system, he basically was being deported. He was not deported because he raped a woman and had a kid as a result of it. And then he still didn't get locked up. So... He was described by the Gardaí 
as our Garda Siakada, who are the Irish cops, as being particularly violent towards women. In 2002, Farah entered a relationship with a woman called Kathleen Mulhall, who was formerly Kathleen Ward, who is the mother in the story. So Kathleen right. was originally married to John Mulhall. The marriage didn't last, and John was apparently abusive towards her, and so the, ma- the marriage eventually broke down. John moved out of the family home, taking some of their children. I never found exactly how many children they have. I didn't bother my arse looking into it because it's completely irrelevant. There's only two of them that actually matter. So John moved out of the family home, taking more some than of... two. They've had more than two. They children. had more than two kids. We only care about two of them. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, taking some of the children with him, while Farah, the mother's new partner moved into the family home. Kathleen, the mother, would soon move to County Cork, which is on the west coast of Ireland, with the now now partner Farah. John, the old husband, would move back into the family home, but Kathleen and Farah would return then in around 2004. So it's a space of about two years between them getting together, then moving to Cork, then moving back to Dublin. Kathleen was again a victim of domestic abuse, as Farah allegedly subjected her to regular beatings. Again, very violent towards women. He does have a history, so I can believe that. Yep. So next up we have the two daughters. We have Linda and Charlotte. Linda, who was 30 years of age at the time of the murder that we'll be getting to, was the mother of four children herself. She was a long sufferer of alcohol abuse and a heroin addict. The relationship with the father of the children had dissolved and she had entered a relationship with another man by the name of Wayne Kinsella who abused all of them. There is a reported incident of Wayne assaulting one of the children with an an electrical flex. If you want to Google what an electrical flex is, you can, it's bait, you will see it. It's like a really, it's a flexible steel thing that wires go through that's used in construction. Basically, very okay, like very hard, okay. solid thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and basically, we'd think about beating anyone with that, let alone a child. You know, so no. fucking hell. The abuse was investigated, and the children were taken into the care of the social services. And Wayne served seven years for his violence towards the children. In nineteen ninety six, though, Wayne received an eight year prison sentence for murdering a retired auctioneer and would later receive life imprisonment for stabbing a 29-year-old Adil Asali in a field very close to where I actually grew up. It's only about five minutes down the road from where I grew up. He stabbed wow. this guy to get... Now, he killed this guy because that other guy, Adil, was involved in the murder of Wayne's brother. So, the whole load of... Yeah. So, that is the relationships of the first daughter and the short shit that she had to okay. deal with, right? Charlotte who was the younger of the two sisters, was 21 at the time um, of that the murder took place. And she herself had a long history of drug and alcohol abuse. She also herself had a number of minor convictions, such as criminal damage, public order offences, and was involved in prostitution. To basically sum up the two daughters, though, they had very tough level, very troubled lives, an awful lot of alcohol abuse, an awful lot of physical, sexual abuse, all that load of shit. So, we move forward to the 20th of March, 2005, St. Patrick's weekend. Kathleen, her two daughters, Charlotte and, Lin- and Linda, 
and her partner, Farah, were heavily drinking on St. Patrick's weekend around Dublin city centre. They'd been drinking vodka and coke while walking around Dublin city. Kathleen and her daughter, Charlotte, who again is the younger of the two, 21 at this stage, decided they wanted to take ecstasy. They were on the Keys in Dublin on the River Liffey and they decided to pop some ecstasy. ecstasy. They, yeah, they then decided to return to Kathleen's flat, which was, it's, I think it's, if I remember correctly, it's about 15, 20 minute walk from the, uh, from, from where they were, from the Keys, from the River Liffey in the middle of the city. Um, they returned to Kathleen's flat to take more ecstasy and Kathleen ended up crushing up an ecstasy tablet and they actually put it into Farah's drink so as that they would, quote, all be on the same buzz. Because he obviously didn't want to take some or something, I don't know. But anyway, so she spiked his ass. Uh, Linda? Give me a second. <laughs> yeah. Phil has to catch up. I, I just have some questions. I just want to... No, no. <laughs> that was not an so audio got, failure, people. people <laughs> that was a fil- the daughters are in their thirties, right? Yeah. So one of the daughters <laughs> is fil- thirty. The daughter, the oldest of the two daughters, is thirty. The younger of the two in the story is twenty-one. At this time. All right. Cool. How old is mom? I don't know. More. Yeah. Probably not. Forties. Mid forties. We'll say she's probably fifty at the ma- at the youngest. Let's say. I can Google it if you want, but I never nah, looked it up. No, let's, I didn't. Say she, let's say she's 48. She's 48. <laughs> for, let's for say you mid to late 40s. For, for Phil's mental... For my sanity, 48. <laughs> 48. Fair enough. All right. Where was I? So, right. So, they returned to Kathleen's flat to take more ecstasy and um, with Kathleen crushing up the tablet of ecstasy and putting it into Farah's drink. So, they would, as I said already, all be on the same buzz. Okay? Right. So, Linda... The older daughter and Farah were sitting beside each other on a two-seater sofa with Charlotte sitting on the arm. Farah proceeded to touch Linda in a sexual manner, speaking in her ear, pulling, putting his arms around her, and he was refusing to let her go. An argument ensued as Kathleen started screaming at Farah, and during the fight, she instructed the daughters to just kill him for me. Charlotte, the younger of the two daughters, picked up a Stanley knife and sliced Farah's throat. Jesus Christ. He fell to the ground. Linda picked up a hammer and proceeded to hit him in the head numerous times. Kathleen looked on but did not participate, nor did she intervene. Farah was also was reported he'd stabbed a minimum of 27 times. But pathologists believe it may have been more as they could not examine the full body. Here's why, right? So, the daughters. So, for everybody who's listening, if you didn't raise an eyebrow or have a quizzical look at why couldn't they examine the body, here's why. Here's why. The daughters proceeded to drag Farah's corpse into the bath where they began to dismember him. They removed his head, his limbs, and his penis with a kitchen knife and a hammer. God, they a trend used, for today. Yep. They used towels to stem, try and stem the flow of the blood. And after a number of hours of dismembering, 
they placed all of his body parts in black plastic bags and sports bags, with the exception of his head. They threw all of the body parts into what is known here as the, it's called the Royal Canal. It is a man-made canal that was originally designed to move freight and passengers from Dublin City up to uh, County Longford, which is in the middle of the country, and it connects up with the longest river in the country, the River Shannon, um, which okay. basically yeah, distributes off to loads of different places. So, But disposing of his body in this manner would have taken several trips. So if you were to Google this, you could see where the apartment was that the killing took place and a little map mm-hmm. and the Royal Canal is a couple of streets north of that. So they would have had to have walked up and down, up and down, up and down quite a few times with these bags to just dump carry, Just carry the bags of body parts. Yep. <clears throat> they took the head by bus to an area in <laughs> to an area in Dublin called Tala. Right? Now I will I'm going to go into Google Maps live right now while we're doing this, right? And I am going to go and Google Map the route just to give you an idea how far away this is, right? So I'm going to do from an area that's right around the corner, which is going to be mentioned in a minute. Now, it is 23 kilometers, roughly by... Oh, hold on a second. This is the quickest route here. Actually, is um, apparently it's around an hour by bus God damn. because it's going through the middle of Dublin city centre or you can go around the ring road blah, blah, all this whole different shit right but anyway that's neither here nor there so it's about an hour on the bus so they took the, bu- the head on the bus to Tala and they walked through please tell me they're still rolling on X at this point I, I, hours, this is hours later Phil they're, they're, they're guaranteed it's worn off at this stage like this is like it took them hours to dismember the body right so they went to a place that they're that's, that's known as, uh, it's called The Square, which is um, a big-ass uh, shopping mall, as you would call it. We call them shopping centres. So it's a big shopping centre called The Square. Sure. And it's this old ad back in the day, because it's all there in The Square, because it was one of the biggest shopping centres at first. Nothing's really in The Square anymore. It's a piece of shit. But anyway, they basically walked through the shopping mall centre, carrying this hand in a bag, um, and they went through it and they went to a local park where Charlotte dug a hole using one of the knives and they proceeded to bury the head in the hole. They then disposed of the hammer and the knives in a pond nearby in the park. Linda, the older again of the two sisters, would later return, dig up the head, place it in her son's school bag and then transfer it to a field near, um, near a housing estate that, that's in Tala. Um, where she proceeded to break it up even further with a hammer and then bury it again. Linda later stated um, that she smashed his head into several pieces and distributed them into different bins slash trash cans in the Phoenix Park, which is a massive <laughs> park in Dublin. Right? Um, yeah. So, the killing itself only came to light 10 days after because Farah's leg was seen floating in the canal a few hundred yards away from Croke Park. And Croke, Croke Park is a very famous sports stadium here. And it is literally right around the corner from where they did the killing. It's right up beside where they would have dumped the body parts in. So this body part didn't get very far in those 10 days. Um, 
the the Gardaí recovered seven body parts um, and they only got to identify Farah through media appeals. Person recognized the t-shirt that was still on the torso um, and it was a person that um, was one of the only people that Farah knew when he first came into the country back years ago and so this person recognized the t-shirt because it was what he was wearing and it's not like an, well, apparently it wasn't like a normal t-shirt or some shit like that um, right. his head and his penis were never found so the entire family including the father John were arrested in connection with the murder they all denied any knowledge of the killing but a few weeks later Linda admitted to her involvement in the crime um, Gardy then searched the house that the murder took place in and they found blood stains and through DNA analysis they obviously confirmed it was Farah's and upon Linda's confession her mother Kathleen fled the country now bear in mind that this whole entire thing if you recall let's go back took place in March 2005 um, Kathleen would not be found until 2008 living in England in December of 2005 wait, wait, hold on. stop stop yeah. <laughs> stop stop she fly flees the country yeah. and only goes to England. Yeah. The next island over. There's a very specific reason why she went to England. Right, so okay, the reason okay. the reason she went to England, right, is because because Kathleen was originally a member of the traveling community, right? There's an awful lot of members of the traveling community also over in England. Just believe she went over there to hide out amongst members right. of the traveling community. Okay, so she went to her community. Okay, it makes sense. Okay, now it makes sense. Right. So and so because she her family originated from them, she herself mm-hmm. like uh, okay. no, I know that the family didn't originate from England. In fact, there's a large no, concentration of traveling community over in England. Sure. Um, so it's thought that she went out and hid out with them. Where was I here? Yeah, so, so she's found living in England. So in December of 2005, Linda and Charlotte were charged with the murder of Farah Noor and their father, John, hanged himself in the Phoenix Park out of shame of what happened. The trial took place in October 2006. Linda, being found guilty of manslaughter, bear in mind if she's the one that did all the work with the hammer after the throat had been slit, and her sister Charlotte was found guilty of just straight up murder. Because her look would have been the killing. But she, she killed him. Uh, essentially she killed him. The hammer blows were just additional things that didn't really matter. Because cutting of the throat is what killed yeah. him. Most likely he would have died killed from the cutting throat. of the throat. But chances yeah. are the hammer blows yeah. probably actually probably killed him. But anyway. Charlotte was given the mandatory life sentence. And Linda was given 15 years their mother Kathleen would eventually receive five years imprisonment after pleading guilty to assisting in the cleanup of a crime scene to conceal evidence. Now, there was also a whole load of hullabaloo um, online after where one of the sisters, I can't remember which one it was, I'm pretty sure it was um, Linda, um, with photos of her um, jokingly holding a knife to the throat of, or maybe it was Charlotte, hold, jokingly holding a knife to the throat of a fellow prisoner. That was pulled on social media. There's a whole lot of shit about it. But due to the manner in which the girls killed Farah, the media dubbed them the Scissor Sisters. 
so it's very well known. <laughs> that's a completely different thing. <laughs> that's that's the, that's a different thing altogether. <laughs> Innocent media. Oh, I love it. Yep. Fucking shit. But that's the end of my second story. Um, cool. I just I just want to cover something. Sure. Dude who got killed got his just desserts. Pretty much is what the story sure. is. Yeah. So the whole thing being that. Um, <laughs> It, it, what they did was completely fucked up. Also, I don't give a I shit. A like, it's Ireland. completely fucked up. Yeah. I'll claim. So, I'll claim to be your kid if you want. If you want. If you want citizenship, I'll pretend to be your kid, Phil. So good. Yeah, it won't work. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I guarantee it won't work. You're a little older than me, Danny. Uh, Am I? Wait, okay, that's good to know. That if I'm, yeah, maybe I'm. I'm, I'm about to say my the year. Yeah, I just turned thirty-seven. Oh, I'm younger than you, so go fuck yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I literally oh, turned shit, thirty-five really? to three days ago. Yeah. Oh fuck. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know. I, I know. I don't look as pretty well, as sure you, about... Phil. But you know. No, you have a <laughs> fucking family. Damn. I don't. I feel like I'm eighteen. Okay. I, people tell me I look <laughs> twenty-six, and I'm like, what? Really? Yeah, Anyways, I'm married. Let's go to Kevin's uh, last story <laughs> right. that I could, so I can have my me- brain melted again. All right. Let me give me a, my uh, <clears throat> true crime voice on. And lastly, we go to 1993 to get the origins of a torture that retail and restaurant workers have to endure every holiday season. Starting earlier and earlier every year, this torment starts off as fun and joyous, but after just a few rotations in a single day, the true horror of their ordeal finally sinks in and the deep depression begins to take hold. Yes, to finish off our Christmas episode, we will cover the birth and the reign of terror that is... Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. Yes. <laughs> My wife's favorite Christmas song. <laughs> it is the bane, uh, bane of every person who has to work yes, it is. where music is playing. Yeah. Like if there's yeah. music playing, you just spy and you have to work there for 12 hours and you all you hear is All I Want for Christmas I, at least a dozen every, times every an minutes. hour. Yeah. I worked in retail. I haven't worked in retail in over fifteen years now, and I'm still scarred because I worked in a shop that is um, very well known here. Any um, Irish and even English people here will know of Pennies, um, the great shop that it is. Apparently, a US store is open as well a while back. But anyway, it's very cheap clothes and stuff like that, and they're even cheaper when it comes to things like the music that they play and the Christmas ornaments that they get in. And I worked in the Christmas section one year and everything that played a jingle, everybody kept coming in and winding them up and playing jingles. And they were famous songs, (laughs) but in really poor jingle form in these little toys. And that was one of the big ones. And that and Rudolph Red-Nosed Reindeer was the other one. But you could hear just a single note, like nearly like a polyphonic ringtone of Mariah Carey's All I Want For Christmas Is You for about seven to eight hours a day five six days a week for three months i hate my right, life <laughs> <laughs> all right let's hear this uh, story of mariah carey following the success of her 1993 album music box carrie and her management of columbia records including carrie's then husband tommy matola head of columbia's parent label sony music entertainment began planning further projects the group discussed recording a christmas album but hesitated, as such albums were typically released towards when an artist's careers are waning. 
Carrie's songwriter partner of over four years, Walter FNSF, said, Back then you didn't have a lot of artists with Christmas albums. I wasn't known as uh, the scene at all back then, and there was nobody who did, you know, new big Christmas songs who we were going to release as kind of a everyday, hey, you know, we're putting out a Christmas album. No big deal. I have no idea what he sounds like. That's just what I'm guessing. Uh, after my He's looking at you, kid. Hey. <laughs> Carrie and FNSF began writing and composing songs for Merry Christmas in mid-1994. Carrie decorated the home she shared with Matola with Christmas decorations, feeling she could enter the holiday spirit and make her performance more authentic. All I Want for Christmas is You was recorded that August and took Carrie and FNSF a total of 15 minutes to write and compose. At first, FNSF admitted that he was puzzled and blanched as to where Carrie wanted to take the melody and the vocal scales, though she was adamant in her direction for the song. In an interview with Billboard, FNSF described the type of relationship he and Carrie shared in the studio's songwriters. It was always the same sort of system with us. We would write the nucleus of the song, the melody, primary music, and then some of the words were there as we finished writing it. I started playing some rock and roll piano and started a boogie-woogieing with my left hand and inspired Mariah to come up with some melodic, I don't want a lot for Christmas. And then we started singing and playing around with these rock and roll boogie songs, which immediately came out to be the nucleus of what we would end up being, All I Want for Christmas is You. That one went very public. It was an easier song to write than some of the other ones. It was very formulaic, not a lot of chord changes. I, I tried to make it a little more unique, putting in some special chords that you don't hear a lot of, uh, which uh, made it unique and special. Then for the next week or two, Mariah would call me and say, what do you think about this bit? We would take a, a bit, uh, a little bit until she got the lyrics all nice, coordinated, and done. And then we would just waited until the sessions began, and we were in the summer of 94, we were together in New York, and I started recording, and that's when we first heard the microphone singing, and the rest is history. I like you managed to go from from a New Yorker like hey I'm walking here all the way to what's that fucking giant chicken I say I say sir southern yeah southern chicken yeah yeah flew back to California where he finished the song's programming and production. Originally, he had a live band play the drums and other instruments with the thought of giving it a more raw and effective sound. He was unhappy with the results of the recording and subsequently scrapped the effort and used his original personal arrangement and programmed all the instruments heard on the song with the exception of background vocals, including the piano, drums, and triangle. While Carrie continued <gasps> writing material in her rented home the, in the Hamptons, FNSF completed the song's programming and awaited the rendezvous with her a final time in order to layer the harmonizing and background vocals. It was released October 29, 1994, just before Halloween, beginning its reign of terror and subsequent overtaking of the obvious superior holiday. It's been terrorizing retail and restaurant workers ever since. So there's that. That is uh that's the true horror story of tonight's <laughs> episode that's... right there. We we couldn't get anything real raw or dirty on Tay Tay, so we had to go Mariah. Yeah, so we this. had to go. Yeah. Season Sounds of the Season by Taylor is just too horrifying for our listeners. We didn't want to scarf Phil. <laughs> no, please, you've already you scarred know. me enough. My God. All right, everybody, that's all we have. We're running a little long on this one, so that's uh, that's all we're going to have. Uh, Phil, uh, you want to let people know how they can get a hold of you if they want to? 
ladies and gentlemen, first of all, I want to thank both Dan and Kevin for one constantly talking about me on your podcast. Oh, every every time. Finally, having me on. We're your not going to talk about you anymore. You guys now. are amazing. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> we, we got my closet. Yeah, that's, that's it. It's done. Yeah. I'm done now. Uh, they're going to fixate on someone else. But if you are interested in just learning about podcasting or growing podcasting, um, and starting a podcast like. <laughs> Dan and Kevin here about torture or about anything specifically Mariah Carey, make sure you join my Facebook group. It's called The Better Method of Daily Audience Growth for Independent Podcasters. You can go to it at philbetterinc.com slash Facebook group. And you can sign up today. Again, that is philbetterinc.com slash Facebook group. But if you join, if you're not a podcaster or anything, if you love this podcast, send the guys here an email at torturepod at gmail.com. That's the most important thing you can do because the communication between uh, listener and podcaster is so special. You guys help drive the show. So the more you interact with this show, the better the episodes come. So let them know what you enjoy. What, let them know what you don't like. Let them know what kind of stories you want to hear. You guys drive the show Dan and Kevin can only do so much and they're doing it for you. So the little bit of info that you can send them at torturepod at gmail.com will feed this podcast and make it better for you guys. So do your part, send in that email and you'll see uh, a better podcast come out of it. So I want to thank both Dan and Kevin for having me on the podcast for you guys. Thank you. And specifically for you guys sending in your email (laughs) At torturepod yeah. at gmail.com. Thank you. For a trip to go uh, well, you know, feel better. <laughs> I couldn't. Uh, now, yeah, I was going to say. I it better myself. I was going to say, so. yeah, thanks, uh, Phil, as well, for coming on. But I was going to say, yeah, but the whole emailing in thing, obviously, email in, you know. But see, do you want Phil back again? Do you want me back again? You know, <laughs> you're sick. You know, that's, that's, that's the bigger thing I'd want to know about. You know, um, do you want to hear more stories from me? Do you want to hear another story from Phil about headless Canadians? Yeah. You know, um, there's there's a few headless Canadian stories. I'm pretty sure that's, that's, right. that's where the floppy-headed Canadian South Park thing came from, obviously. <laughs> you know. Yeah, buddy. So, ladies and gentlemen, I thank you very much. Send an email in to torturepod at gmail dot com. All the links down below will be here. Pretty soon, right, Phil will be inviting sorry, us in, calling us the <laughs> podcast moguls. Do you guys want to? Be, Phil's going to contact us. Do you guys want to be on torture today? <laughs> yeah, next weekend. You guys All right, hit for our next. That's our podcast. Not anymore. The podcast mogul takes it over. Hit for our next episode. Uh, Joan of Arc had some pretty fucked up friends. So take that <laughs> for French. what you will. Uh, this this is our last episode of 2022. We want to thank everybody for listening. We appreciate it. We love all you guys. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah, Joyce Kwanzaa, Radical Ramadan, and have a happy and safe new year. Don't drink and drive, please. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next year. All right? And to my pagan friends. Yeah, and don't, happy Yule. Right. I was gonna say, don't, don't uh, make people jump out the window just because you think they're witches or <laughs> chop your friends' heads off. All right, that's all we got. We'll, uh, we'll see you. Email us. Bye-bye.